in that. And uh, Phil covered the armor of God, but I just want to read that section uh, again for us uh, and draw to the close of the, of the letter in chapter 6 of Ephesians, right through from verse 10 through to 24. You ready? Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. With the breastplate of righteousness in place. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. For which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Tychicus, a dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything. So that you may also know how I am and what I'm doing. I'm sending him to you for this very purpose. That you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. Thanks be to God. So let's stand together. I I read a book uh, that that is called uh, The Naked Diplomat. It's not some scandal and something salacious. Uh, It's uh, uh, written by a a former ambassador to Lebanon. And in the book, he talks about his experience as a modern-day diplomat, as an ambassador, and what that means for the Middle East, for Lebanon, and his role. And he charts a little bit about the history of of diplomacy and the the privilege of being an, an ambassador uh, it's kind of interesting to hear what goes on in that sort of uh, aspect of life. I don't know if you've ever noticed when you're coming into an airport and you, you're queuing to a, to a foreign country and we've, generally we've all got to queue up in all those, kind of, a bit like the back here with all these railings, you've got to queue left and right and left and right to get to pass control. But there's a special area on the side for diplomats. You seen that? Diplomatic passport holders. Gives a particular access and speed, a privilege, because the ambassador and those with diplomatic credentials are, uh, are representing the government, the ruler, the authority of the state. Paul, at the end of uh, the, the letter to Ephesians, writes 
to the church in, in Ephesus, Western modern-day uh, Turkey, and says, for which I am an ambassador in chains. The Paul, as a representative of Jesus Christ, fully uh, with the credentials of, a, of um, the ambassadorial role of Jesus Christ, is in chains in Rome. He's on one of the missionary journeys. He's, he's uh, been uh, arrested. He's not at liberty, unlike the passport control where they can sail through without ease. I mean, if you hear from time to time the great uh, international kind of spats when diplomats get stopped and searched inappropriately uh, at certain points, in, uh, there's a kind of whole kind of issue because it contravenes the status and role of, of human ambassadors. But for Paul... In Rome, the very center of governance and life in the Roman Empire. He is there as the ambassador of Christ, but in chains, under house arrest, prevented from being freely able to go out his business, but still standing for Jesus. Still standing with every authority, every mandate from God, the authority of Jesus Christ to proclaim good news and see the kingdom come. That is why he's in Rome, to speak to the powers and the rulers and the authorities and to demonstrate, as he's written to the church in Ephesus about the risen Jesus, of what the kingdom looks like. And he's writing back. It's a bit like, you know, the the ambassadors, I'm I'm told, can write things and they put them in diplomatic bags. And the diplomatic bag is sealed. If you've ever watched Netflix, you might know about this on certain things, like, uh, or you've seen films. And those, those, um, those bags get sent off and they go straight to the foreign office or wherever they, they're destined to be. And they are kind of protected from being interfered with. I hope that perhaps you see that the letter of Ephesians, though it's not arrived in the diplomatic bag, is a letter sent through uh, time and space, uh, uh, captured and recorded uh, and held for us as a letter for our inspiration and help, for our instruction, for insight and guidance to understand how things are. It's not just Paul that is to fulfill that ambassadorial role. Paul would write to the church in Corinth, uh, in, in just near Athens in Greece, in uh, chapter 5 of his second letter. He, he tells us this, that, that, he's, that we are therefore Christ's ambassadors through God that we're making this appeal through us. That this isn't just about Paul and his role and authority, but reminded that in Christ we are to his witnesses, ambassadors set apart for him. In the close of his, his letter, he has he's called them to remember that we are in a struggle. He knows about that. He's in chains. His, his freedom has been contained. He has a litany, a catalog of, uh, of, of difficult moments that he has lived through. And uh, he's been uh, hounded out of cities and chased and let down in a basket. He's been shipwrecked. He's been stoned. He's been flogged. He has been spoken against. He has been hounded. And he says, let's not fight against the people as such, but remember that Jesus is opposed. And as the encouragement, the letter, the envoy that he is, the the diplomatic correspondence that he's sending us, he says, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty powers. Phil helped us last week to put on the full armor of God and helped us understand a little bit more about that. At verse 18, uh, we pick up. 
And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers. We're called to put on the spiritual armor together, to stand firm together. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. When the disciples asked Jesus, teach us to pray, he taught them the Lord's Prayer, the disciples' prayer. And through the pages of Scripture, we see again and again different ways of praying, whether you turn to the Psalms, Psalms of praise and Psalms of hallelujah, or Psalms and songs of lament, of of desperation, of crying out. Pray in the Spirit. Pray with all kinds of prayers. Sometimes people talk about arrow prayers. Please be doing that for me now as you pray, or maybe for yourselves. Lord, help me stay uh, focused here. Uh, Pray with all sorts of prayers that you can pray set a time praying uh, in the morning or in the lunchtime with, with set devotional kind of uh, offices in the day. Pray on all sorts of occasions in all sorts of times. Play, pray when you're feeling stressed and anxious. Pray at hungry on a Monday evening. Pray. The part of our response, part of our response to the struggle and the life that we are now called to in Christ is to recognize the struggle that we are in, that we are in uh, not an, a benign environment, but there is uh, a great struggle going on around us, for us, against us, and in this world. And part of the strategy of God is to call his people to pray. In the Spirit, asking the Spirit to inspire us. It's not kind of overly spiritual and kind of only we pray when we get a a kind of nudge from the Holy Spirit. Although that does happen. But pray with all kinds of prayers. Whether that's just coming from the heart. Sometimes when I, I have a couple of books and the internet is a great resource as well. There's lots of prayers that you can find to help you pray. Uh, It's not wrong to use other people's prayers as a basis to pray too. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions. Paul urges the church to do so. And with this in mind, that we are in a struggle, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me. One of the things that the letter of Paul is really apparent in this Ephesians letter is the importance of prayer in family life. Whether that's family gathered now or family, however that defines itself in your kind of particularity, husband, wife, of of parents, children, grandparents, pray as family. Remember that the the letter in Ephesians starts off with that great uh, prayer that Paul prays. Uh, he speaks of the praise of God and then chapter, chapter 1. I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you a spirit of wisdom. He's praying for the people. Chapter 3, he, he bursts, he's been speaking of Jesus and the wonder of the gospel. And then he again is so motivated for them. He says, for this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through your spirit in your inner being. And I pray that you're being rooted and established in love. He prays. And in chapter 6, he prays some more for them and urges them to do likewise, to pray. One of the signs of a church alive is its commitment to pray. Not just in the gathered, the formal, but in that wellspring of relationship, that recognition of love. One of the things I was struck by is, was one of the most powerful things we can do to help each other is to pray for each other. 
Obviously, we want to to care for the poor and help each other in need and, and do many practical things, absolutely. But one of the most profound ways of expressing love is to pray for someone. Why? Because we bring that person into session to the very throne of God before the Almighty who is able, more than able, to help in any and every circumstance. Amen? And Paul says, pray also for me. That whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I'm an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly, as I should. An emphasis on prayer, but a real moment of honesty from Paul. To do so fearlessly. See, I think for Paul, like any of us, we can, we can so elevate great heroes of faith and, and so elevate them in their, in their stature and their reputation that we, we kind of, well, they're, they're just set apart. They're so, so different to you and I. But there's such a moment of vulnerability of Paul. He says, pray for me that I may do so fearlessly. Why? Because he knows what it's like to stand and face a hostile crowd. He knows, I think, what it's like to face and be overcome by fear. At the end of, of this message, as he's, as he's talking about this, this battle that, that we are facing and standing strong and firm, I don't think he's cowering, but he is asking for the church at large, for each other, for the family of God to pray for him, that, because he knows how easy it is to be overcome by anxiety, to be faced by circumstances that seem so difficult, to, to, to get to that point of thinking, really, can I? And he turns to the church and says, pray for me. I wanted to focus a little bit on, on this in, in our message this morning. We, in ministry last week, we touched a little bit on fear. A, a little boy was afraid of the dark. And one night his mum told him to go outside and, and, and go and fetch something that had been left in the garden, a brush or something. He said, but mummy, I don't want to go out there. It's dark. You don't have to be frightened of the dark, said mum. Jesus is out there and he'll look after you and protect you, faithful mum, obviously. Are you sure Jesus is out there? He asked the little boy. Yes, I'm quite sure Jesus is everywhere and is all ready to help you when you need him. The little boy opens the back door, opens it just a little crack and shouts, Jesus, if you're out there, can you pass me the broom? <laughs> The reality is, as believers, we can face fear. In chapter 6, verse 10, what does Paul write? This is a verse I I learned, but David Williams is an inspiration about memory verses. Thank you, David, for inspiring our young people and and helping us through the summers and and, in different ways to learn Scripture. So there's one I I learned a long time ago, and it keeps coming back to me again and again, to, 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 to sort of commit Scripture deeply to memory. It's amazing how many times the Lord says, do you remember this? Finally, be strong in the Lord 
and in his mighty power. The reason I think to the church in Ephesus is is because we need to be encouraged about this. Be strong. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Why do we often need to be encouraged to be strong? Because we feel weak. Not strong in our own ability, but strong in the Lord. Do you know what, I'm sure you do this if you've been around church anyway. Do you know what the most common phrase that comes up in the Bible again and again is? Do not fear. Do not be afraid. That I think more often than not, we need to hear the encouragement of Paul to address some of the things that constrain us and hold us. Paul requested, implored the church that as he took his next steps of faith in the mission and the calling that God had for him, pray that he may do so fearlessly. Twice, in fact. You see, personal fears control us. I just want you to think about what, what fears control you or influence you. I'm not necessarily talking about phobias, but spiders are one of those that kind of crop up on social media this time of year. And everyone goes, oh, spiders. Some people hate spiders. Sometimes phobias uh, occur in people, and they're very strong. But what are the things that, that loom large and actually, if you're honest, affect what you think, how you behave, what you do, or what you don't do? Someone did it like this. Uh, when, when so constrained by, by worry and fear in their life, they decided to, to, to do something about it, and they constructed a worry table. And uh, this lady, uh, she decided that fears were ruining, ruining her life, so she, she, she wrote down, she spent time and made this worry table, and she tabulated her worries. Wow. She discovered that as she did so, 40% of them would never happen. 30% were all about decisions that couldn't be changed. 12% were about other people's criticism of her, mostly untrue. And 10% were about her health, which actually got worse when she started worrying. 8% were legitimate since some of, uh, there were some problem, real problems in her life that she had to meet. Finally, be strong in the Lord. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions that we should be fearless Personal fear, fear affects us in all sorts of ways. Past experience that we don't want to relive. Past experiences that are real. Past experiences that have shaped and hurt and perhaps altered life. But the power of them can still so control the present that we don't want to go there again. Fear of the future, of of what actually might lie ahead, of, of worry. But the reality of these fears sometimes is they they are more about the imagination and don't actually have a basis in reality. Fear is false evidence that appears real. And in this passage on on spiritual warfare, we know that, that fear is a great tactic of the evil one. That he comes to rob, to steal, and destroy. No one likes to be robbed. No one likes to be the, uh, the, uh, the, the, um, on the sharp end of having something stolen from us. And we don't really want to be destroyed, do we? 
But that's what his strategy is. And, and so part of that strategy in sowing lies is to cause the family of faith, the people of God, you and I, to be so motivated and controlled by fear that it stops us stepping out in faith. And this this uh, church meeting that we had on, a vision meeting on Wednesday, it wasn't that we were motivated by fear, but it impinges in all sorts of ways. We were talking about opportunities and possibilities for a church plant, and, and we were looking at the budget. Thank you, Martin, for, for helping us in that. And, and, um, and uh, you know, when we're stepping out in faith, it often involves resources, doesn't it? Money. Um, uh, Laurie was really helpful about this as well when he, he shared about the experience of IGA. He said, you know, that sometimes fear of not having enough. Will God provide? How will we do this? It's a step of faith that sometimes we can be so motivated by we can't see the way forward. We don't see the concrete evidence that fear there won't be enough. We haven't got enough. It's, not, it's all going to come crashing down. Can stop the step of faith. Someone described it. In this way, that the African impala can jump to a height of over 10 feet, it's pretty high, and in one jump cover a distance of 30 feet. That's quite a long way. But they've noticed that these amazing creatures can be kept in any zoo with a three-foot wall. Animal psychologists, what a great job, discovered that they won't jump if they can't see where their feet will fall. Fear paralyzes. Fear paralyzes. Fear in crisis situations. Crisis of fear or crisis of faith. I was reading recently, uh, uh, you probably may have heard this before, that in, in Chinese, in, in their, I think it's Mandarin, that there are two characters they choose to describe uh, crisis. One is danger. And the other character that they put next to it is opportunity. And that describes crisis. There is danger. I'm not belittling that that Paul knew all about danger in the things that he faced in going to be an ambassador before the most powerful uh, person on the planet who would hold life and death in his hands. He knew about danger. He'd been shipwrecked. He'd been flogged. He'd been persecuted. He'd been hounded. He'd been spoken against. He knew about that. There is a reality of crisis that speaks of danger, but there is also opportunity. The place of faith. That all of us, when we feel fear coming, and Paul writes and says, pray for me that I will fearlessly speak, knew that there is always the temptation, always the reality for all of us as believers to step back in fear. To young Timothy, he writes, for the spirit of God, the spirit that God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. What are these fears about? Well, I think this, for Paul here, there are two. One is about speaking, that when he's given opportunity, he wouldn't step back. But also, I think, for many of us, fear is so caught up with the fear of dying, ultimately. Have you thought about that? 
fear of public speaking, and the fear of dying. If I picked on you now and said, come and tell us something about yourself, I'd die if I did that. Harriet, she's not in here, I couldn't ask if I had permission, but she, she shared at Cell, so I think it's public. She, she was saying that at the start of her, Harriet Wilshire, the start of her discipleship year, when she went to Trinity and she was talk, talking to the youth about it, she said, at the start of the year, one of the things I said to God is, I'm not going to speak publicly. I'm so frightened. And she said, over the course of the year, she got pushed and nudged and cajoled and dragged to do a little bit here and there, both with the children and the youth. And such that on the second week of New Wine, just, a few, just last month, her kind of mentor that was involved in leading that week said to her, I'd really like you, Harriet, to, to talk at the, the workers' celebration. And there were 5,000 people there. And she did. There's something about being a believer that we're given the gospel, the wonderful truth of Jesus that's within. We know the living Lord in our hearts, but something gets stuck in our throats, doesn't it? About speaking about him. Have you found that? There are some people who are just amazingly confident and bold and the evangelists and just who don't seem to to care less and they're just kind of like talking about Jesus left, right and center. There's a few of you in here and celebrate you. But I think for the rest of us, is it easy or hard? When someone, uh, the conversation turns to slightly spiritual things or you're at a meal table or someone at the work or someone, what you did on Sunday, do you say, I was at church celebrating Jesus or do you go... I had a nice weekend, thanks. (laughs) It really is something that we find oh so difficult, don't we? To speak of Jesus to those that are the closest that we, we love and know and the strangers. The Paul isn't so different to us when he says, pray that I may fearlessly speak of Jesus when the opportunity arises. I remember, you know, there's, um, Phil, would, Phil regularly testifies to this, but every time he, he preaches it, you know, is this true, Phil? You find you're kind of like, oh. Beforehand, yeah. Beforehand. You may look at it and think we've got it all dusted. But we kind of go, oh. you know, there's something about standing in front of people, whether it's the you lovely people with are for us and not against us, but there's something about vocalizing faith, there's something about sharing what is precious to you, that there's a step of faith because there's always a reluctance, there's always a moment of fear, shall I? I remember uh, when I was in, in my church in Leicester and I was invited because I'd got to know some of the, uh, the local councillors, they're a funny bunch, but anyway, I was invited to go and uh, kind of uh, speak at the civic inauguration of the new town mayor. It wasn't the city mayor of Leicester, it was one of the county local ones. And I turned up and I, honestly it was so funny as they came and there were like chains and robes and, and uh, paraphernalia and all this kind of like the great and good from all the different county councils around gathered together all these dignitaries. And uh, I think I was about 28 and I had to deliver this message and I you know, was in the pulpit going, oh my goodness, what am I going to say here? Lord, help. Standing on my very first trip to India, taken to a slum in the afternoon. The sun was just dropping and it was warm. And dear Chandra and Shaker and my 
the person that invited me to go for the first time, said, oh, you bring the message today, Edward, in the slum. And it was late afternoon on Sunday, and, and pretty much all the guys were drunk. And one was sitting on a tractor and heckling. And all this kind of, this crowd, we worshipped for a bit, and this crowd gathered, and they said, over to you, Edward. I was like, what do I say? Prayed with all sorts of prayers at that moment. Lord, help. <laughs> and I learned something really profound. I just, because part of the fear at that point is, what have I got to say at this moment? To people I don't understand, I don't live in a, a ramshackle hut. I don't live, in, I don't speak um, Telugu, the language that they spoke that. My life as a Western male believer is so far apart from this person. I felt this, the bonds or the, the snare of fear saying, who are you? What have you got to say? And, and I kind of was praying in the spirit in all sorts of ways. I was just praying, Lord, help. Lord, what do I say? And a real deep realization drew that do I believe the gospel? Do I believe that this is true, this Jesus who died and who rose? Do I believe that he came to save everybody, to forgive everyone of their sins? And of course, there was the immediate yes, because I do. But that place that was ensnared by fear just took a little bit of time to open up to the truth of the word. I do believe this. The gospel is the power of God for salvation for all who would believe. That even though I'm culturally so far removed and probably so inept and I had no idea in my first trip to India of what I should say and how to communicate it and what to do when a drunk guy from the, the, the tractus heckled me in Telugu. I hadn't even got a clue of what they're saying, but everyone laughs. And that feeling of being drawn back of, oh, if I just slip away quietly... Fear of public speaking is so, so common. It's one of the things that besets so many of us. What did Moses say as an, as an 80-year-old or thereabouts when God called him? Come on, Moses, we're going to go and go back to Egypt and we're going to set my people free. What did Moses say? Send somebody else. I can't speak. Little Jeremiah, as perhaps an early teenager, when called by God to confront the spiritual chaos and darkness that had beset the nation and speak to the principalities and powers and rulers and authorities, and God called and raised Jeremiah up and he said, Alas, sovereign Lord, I don't know how to speak. I'm too young. But the Lord said to me, do not say I'm too young. You must go to everyone I send to you and say whatever you command. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Even Jesus said to the disciples, you know, when you faced in the opportunity, when you have to speak on my behalf, the Holy Spirit will give you words to speak. Such an encouragement. That I really believe 
that one of the, the, the hindrances of, of our church in, in our ability is, is a real reluctance to witness. We don't want to offend people because our culture has so moved to say, well, every, toleration actually means you don't confront anything. You don't speak anything out anymore. We just say, well, I believe privately. That's okay. You believe privately. If Paul had believed privately, he would have never ventured to Rome. I want us to pray for each other this morning and as a fellowship ongoing that the fear of speaking about Jesus would be broken. I know you're living out faith with deeds. I hope you are. Trust you are. But faith comes from hearing. I'm not a preacher, Edward. But you are a witness to the resurrection if you've trusted in him. You're a witness. That we can't leave it to the Instagram feeds and the, and the kind of slightly fun memes about the gospel on social media. And, and we can have chat rooms online, but it's divorced. There's something about looking face to face with people and, uh, and not being abrupt and abrasive and abusive about, about faith at all, but about being sincere and about being real and about being courageous in faith and of speaking of Jesus when the opportunity comes in season or out to give account of the faith we have to speak of Jesus. Phil and I were meeting with, with Jamie this week, Jamie Cox, and, and uh, we, we were talking about a, a few things, but one of the things that is, is just really, was really noticeable in that, there's a, there's a bunch of churches around us at the moment in this neck of the woods who are without ministers and who were kind of making requests to Phil and I and Jamie, would, would you come and preach? And uh, obviously, we only got a certain ability and number of times we can preach, particularly on Sundays. And it was just really struck me, wouldn't it be great for the Lord, you know, for people amongst our fellowship who, who kind of say, I could never do it. Well, why not ask the Lord for the gift of preaching? Maybe just give it a go. Maybe it's not your thing, but there, there is some way of witnessing because we're all witnesses. But maybe it's right that God is raising up a, 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 fresh, a, a fresh kind of impetus amongst us to be willing to give account of our faith, to speak the good news of gospel from the scriptures around us. There's a great opportunity at the moment to speak of Jesus. I mean, we wouldn't send you off without training and we'd want to make sure that you're not kind of really off on some weird thing. That doesn't help. <laughs> but there's, there's actually a real need for people who will go and, and stand with the family of faith and sometimes in really difficult places and courageously preach the word and bring hope in Jesus Christ. Because faith comes from hearing the word, doesn't it? Not from silence. And Paul said, I pray that we'll fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. Pray that I declare it fearlessly as I should. But we're also afraid of dying. One comedian commented that that means that if we're afraid of public speaking and of death, that if you're at a funeral, you're better off in the coffin than giving the eulogy. <laughs> So much of our fear is, is, is when you boil it down, is, is frightened of dying.
I'm afraid of flying. I'm not personally, but it's an illustration. Why? Why? Because the plane might crash. I may die. That the fear that comes, particularly with irrational fears, but, but actually of, of anything that starts to contribute, boil it down. It's a, it's a fear of kind of, you know, a comedian would say, oh, I'm going to die on stage. Well, no, you're not. You might look silly. Someone might reject you. If you invite someone to Alpha or to an event, it's like, oh, gosh, it's so awkward. There's a kind of like curling up inside, isn't there? It's, it's that fear. Sisters and brothers, a church that Paul calls to maturity is one who isn't frightened of death. Revelation 12, they triumphed over him, the adversary, Satan, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. As Paul's in prison, he knows they're going to face the the emperor, the Caesar, the rulers. Just like he did for the first martyr, James, could mean death. Not metaphorical dying in a bad performance, but the end of. But that didn't stop him. See, he wrote to the church in, in Galatia, not far away from Ephesus. He, he, in chapter 2, verse 20, he said, this, I, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In other words, he says, I now, I'm already dead in Christ. I'm nothing to fear. I'm living in Christ. I'm living in him. I'm in him. That when you have encountered Jesus, worship him, draw close to him, as you dwell upon the truths of scripture which speak so deeply and profoundly, calling us to him, nothing shall separate us from the love of God. He writes to the church in Rome. Church in Rome. What does he say? Neither life or death. Angels or demons, principalities or power can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. That as we dwell upon the wonder of Jesus, as we get to know him, as we draw close to him, those things of fear that, that shackle us and lock us and hold us back and prevent us and, and causes us to, to, to sort of be slightly timid and, and sometimes make rationally, apparently plausible reasons not to, are actually an explanation, a justification for fear, not faith. Four ways, as I finish, of combating fear. Firstly, God is in control. Do you know that? God is in control. To trust him. Paul, on his way to to Rome last night, in Acts 27, last night, an angel of of God, to whom I belong, and whom I serve, stood beside me and said, don't be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep your courage. God is in control. Secondly, that we, we are pilgrims called 
to dwell with the Lord in eternity. Heaven with him in the reality of life, in fullness with him is our destiny. And whenever we're called to go, he's not a failure, but we are always with him. Thirdly, God always brings good from evil. There are some really bad things that happen. Full stop. And yet, God in his wondrous grace brings good. Romans eight twenty eight. I'm convinced God works all things together for the good of those who love him. It's in that connection of there's neither life, you know, that nothing will separate us from the love of God. Even in the Old Testament, Genesis 50, when Joseph looks back on his life and with his brothers who'd betrayed him and sold him and he'd been through some horrendous circumstances, thrown in jail and falsely accused, and it's a, a life of so many missed opportunities, yet he says, you intended to harm me to his brothers, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And Jesus says to the church, Luke 12, the enemy can harm our bodies, but not our eternal condition. I tell you, my friends, don't be afraid of those who can kill the body and after that do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after the body has been killed has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. In other words, Jesus is saying, trust God. Trust God in and through. Even when it is tough, trust him. The story is told of of an old uh, bishop, a guy called Warren Chandler, after whom um, uh, an American university was named. He was on his deathbed and a friend inquired as to whether or not he was afraid Tell me the truth. Do you fear crossing over to death? Why, he said, I I belong to a father who owns the land on both sides of the river. In life, in death, in life beyond death, God is with us. God is with us. And so Paul concludes the letter, encouraging us to pray. In the task at hand, the calling to which we are all called. The struggle that we are in, the battle. Put on the full armor of God. Be strong in the Lord. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions. And says, I'm going to send to you my dear brother, Tychicus. I'm sending him to you for this very purpose. So that you may know, so that you may know how we are. And that he may encourage you. And ends with this glorious phrase, grace to all, of, all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. Sisters and brothers, contend to keep loving the Lord. He sends Tychicus to, to be part of that encouragement, to be, to be amongst people and say, keep coming. He comes as, as a friend of Paul and says, you know, the person that planted this church encourages you on to teach you, to strengthen you, to help you to stand fearlessly in all that he's taught. To keep on loving with an undying love. 
I pray that will be true as we receive his word. Let's stand together. I want to pray uh, particularly with the whole thing of faith, of release, of life, of boldness.